Our Father, we come this morning calling on Jesus. We come as a people in great need. We come with brokenness and pain. We come with illnesses. We come with struggles in so many different areas of our lives. And we ask that we might be able to hear from you this morning. Father, would you work in us by your spirit for the Father's glory. We come in the powerful name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask Steve if he would come up and read to us from God's Word as found in Mark 2. Let us hear God's Word. A few days later, when Jesus came and entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. So many gathered that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this is what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up, take your mat, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Thank you, Steve. The dream of all fathers and sons who go to the ballpark is to catch a foul ball, or even better yet, a home run ball. In early July, just two months ago, Texas firefighter Shannon Stone took his six-year-old son Cooper to a Texas Rangers baseball game against the Oakland Athletics. On the way to the game, they stopped and bought a new glove for the young son. They had seats in the left field stands within shouting distance of Cooper's favorite player, Josh Hamilton. In the second inning of that game, a foul ball was hit down the left field line. The reigning American League MVP recovered the ball and all the fans were screaming for him to throw it up to them. Well, Hamilton tossed the ball up into the stands, and the six-foot, three-inch Shannon Stone was going to catch it for his son. And as he reached for the ball, he tumbled 
and fell over the railing. He plunged 20 feet down. He was actually conscious after the fall. It was feared that he was seriously injured or even paralyzed. Oaken relief pitcher Brad Ziegler was in the visitor's bullpen that day, and he said that they put stone on the stretcher. And then Stone said, please check on my son. He's up there by himself. Well, the son was okay, but the father, the father later died en route to the hospital. Everyone has a story. And our story today in Mark 2 tells of a paralyzed man and a stretcher. It's a favorite Bible story that we tell to our children when they're young about how these four friends carried this man on the stretcher to where Jesus was. And there was such a crowd that they could not get in. And so they devised this very creative plan to tear through the roof of the home and to drop the man down. Now, what would we do right now if there was a bunch of racket and all of a sudden a man was being lowered on a stretcher by the ropes down and he landed right here? Well, we would have to deal with it. But how? A number of years ago, I was doing a funeral in a chapel of a local funeral home. And during my message, I heard this very strange sound. (gasps) (gasps) And I thought that there was something the matter with the speakers. And so I was sort of looking around and all of a sudden I looked back here and in the center aisle, a man stood up and fell out into the aisle. And I was thinking, one at a time, please. (laughs) Another thing they didn't teach me in seminary. I stopped, I prayed for the man, and then I went down to the family of the original dead man, and I told them what was happening because they couldn't see it. And I prayed with them. The emergency workers came, and they took this man who had had a heart attack to the hospital, and he recovered and did fine. I went back and resumed the service, and we had our funeral, and it was over. Jesus stopped his sermon to deal with the paralytic. Jesus turns everything upside down, though, which is what Jesus usually did. Jesus did not say, what are you doing? Don't you know I'm preaching a sermon? You shouldn't be interrupting now. Um, He didn't say, come back later. He didn't rebuke him. He dealt with it. Tim Kumar, some of you remember Tim as the young spike-haired Greek missionary that we had here in February. Um, Working in Athens now. Um, He'll be coming back this next February to be with us again. But he says this about how Jesus responds to people. Every word and every action of Jesus serves to contradict all you think you know about religion. If you haven't seen that yet, then please look again at Jesus. Jesus sees the man on the pallet. He looks up and he sees the four friends there. He sees the faith of these men. 
And then I think with great compassion, he says, son, your sins are forgiven. The tension is palpable. The religious leaders are in that room and they're processing the event and thinking this guy is blaspheming. Only God can forgive. Jesus knows their thoughts and he responds by saying, which is easier to say you were forgiven or be healed? Now, I can say to you right now that you're forgiven and no one can argue with that. But if I say to you right now, be healed, get up and walk by how you respond, everyone is going to know whether or not I'm the real deal or not. In fact, Jesus does tell the paralytic, get up, take your mat and walk. And he obeys. And the message is clear as can be. Jesus also has authority to forgive. Only God can heal and only God can forgive. The man gets up and walks. This is a beautiful, unexpected story of God's healing physically and spiritually. And this story shows the power of God to work in the life of an individual, but it also shows the power of God to use the friends to show a story that involves a community, all to the glory of the Lord Jesus. This morning, I want us to deal with some lesser dealt with aspects of this story out of Mark 2. First, the man is in need. The man is paralyzed. Now, most of us don't understand all the technical and physiological stuff, but we know what paralysis is. It's the loss of muscle function in part of your body. It happens when something goes terribly wrong and the messages that the brain is sending do not get to the muscles. Most paralysis is due to a stroke or to injuries such as a spinal cord injury. The effect of paralysis is not being able to do the things that a normally completely healthy person could do. The Christopher Reeves Superman Foundation says that one in 50 people deals with some form of paralysis. But that study is not right. In fact, this morning, I want to stretch our view of paralysis and say that we are all paralyzed and not functioning as completely healthy people. Paralysis keeps us from fully participating in some of life's activities. The paralytic was not able to get to Jesus by himself. We all have issues and hurts and problems which affect us in many different ways, often even to the point of paralysis. The type of paralysis that I want us to talk about today causes us to pull away from other people and to isolate ourselves and even to pull away from Jesus. Well, what are some of the things that paralyze us? We're paralyzed and we don't function well when we believe lies of the enemy. Some of us have been told very strong lies in our life. You will never amount to anything, some have heard. 
your excess baggage. You're not good for anything. You should be able to handle this all by yourself. Why do you need help? You were not planned. Oh, yes, you were. We tell ourselves lies. If only I could get to this point or accomplish that or make X amount of money, then I would have time to do this and be that. Then I would be a person of value. We tell ourselves, never ask for help. We tell ourselves sometimes, nobody really needs me. We allow allow the lies to have power over us. And we do not do the things that we were created to do, like be in community with each other. The lies of the enemy paralyze us. But we're also paralyzed and not able to function well when we are consumed by fears and anxieties. You know that your fears and your anxieties can render you rather useless sometimes. You know that sometimes you're driving down the road and you get to your destination and you think, I don't even remember getting here. Did I run a red light? Did I stop at that sign? Because you are so consumed with the issue at hand with the circumstance that is before you that day. And you go through the day, and it's just sort of a complete fog. What's your greatest fear? What's the greatest worry that you have today? Is it keeping you from engaging in something important or with someone else? Are you trying to go it alone? Let me tell you how fear and anxiety can affect you. A couple years ago, I was out taking a walk in my neighborhood about dusk. I saw someone breaking into a house. I had my cell phone, so I called 911. And the 911 operator answered, and um, I tell her, um, I'm watching someone break into a house in my neighborhood. And she says, what's the name of your neighborhood? Well, um, I've only lived here 23 years, and I only pass that sign four or five times a day. I could not come up with Bay Point. So she says, well, what street are you on? Well, um, I couldn't come up with Barkley. She says, well, what's the closest cross street? And I said, listen... I don't know. And to find out, I've got to go back toward that guy breaking into the house. I was amazed. I was incapacitated, paralyzed by the stress. So if you have a stressful situation, you might not want me to answer any questions for you. Okay? (laughs) I'll be there, but I might not answer the questions. The same thing happens in life to us. We lose function. And we're not able to enjoy life to the fullest when we're paralyzed by our fears and by our worries. Close to worry. We're paralyzed when we're given over to criticism. And some of us complain about 
so much. You know, the first few weeks that this cross was up here, um, I lost some time in worship because I was more concerned that the cross wasn't straight. Some of you can relate. And I'm amazed at myself that I'm worried about a cross not being at 90 degree angle. Do I think that on Calvary, that cross is at a 90 degree angle? I mean, engineers didn't put it up. Soldiers dropped it into the ground as an instrument of torture. And here I am thinking about that sitting out there and missing what took place on that cross. The sacrifice that Jesus had for me and for you in giving himself. And so after I got past that, I sort of like it being crooked. I really do. Because it was more about me and my struggle. Some of my thinking along these lines um, and what keeps us from Jesus and others has been shaped by a guy named Nate Larkin. Some of you know the name. He's the author of Samson and the Pirate Monks. I met him this year. And I heard his story, and then I read his book. Um, He's coming in January, man, to do a conference called Grace and Men. And if you're a man and you're here in January, um, around the 20th that weekend, you need to be at this conference because this guy and his message will really rock your world in a very good way. It has mine. Using different words, Larkin would say, that we're also paralyzed when we're overcome and overpowered by our addictions. Addictions, whether it's drinking or porn or gambling or a number of other issues, our minds and our hearts become so fixated on our addiction that the most important things in our lives suffer, especially relationships. Well, what is it that incapacitates us? It's not just believing lies and being consumed by fears and anxieties and criticisms and addictions. A number of overtly good things can also paralyze us, can can keep us from fully participating in life's activities, especially relationships. Ironically, we're paralyzed when we are controlled by technology. The surveys tell us that these devices are not helping us rein in our work hours. Instead, we're utilizing technology to help us work harder and faster, but also longer. We're paralyzed sometimes by technology. That is, we're not doing the most important things like relationships. Sometimes people are texting each other from the same room rather than being in dialogue with each other. Some of you have probably paused in your worship this morning to check an email. The interesting thing, it's such a mixed bag. Some of you have pulled up your scriptures on this. Some of you are even taking notes on it. And yet some of us are so controlled by it that we can't have it in front of us without checking email or updating our status. 
might I suggest to all of us that if we are controlled by a device, we are really self-paralyzing. Do you have a problem with technology? Well, self-diagnosis usually does not serve us well in any area. Um, Let me encourage you to ask the person who's closest to you if you have a problem. One researcher from the University of Minnesota warns us not to take technology into the bedroom and seeing its effect on relationships and careers. She likens one working on his laptop in bed at night to having a third person in the bedroom. It's really important to know when and how to hit the off button on our devices. Alexandra Liebenthal, president of a New York City-based financial services firm, mother of three, received her wake-up call last Labor Day weekend. It's Friday afternoon, 5 o'clock. She was just starting the long weekend vacation with her family on Long Island. She went from a motorboat to a dock, pulled out her phone to check her work emails when the phone slipped out of her hand. It hit the dock and it hit the water into Great South Bay. She screamed and then she laughed. She realized that it was a sign that on Friday evening of a long weekend, there's nobody who needs to connect with you more than your loved ones. We must control our connectivity or be controlled by it. We're paralyzed when we can so easily become overwhelmed with busyness. Busyness keeps us from some of the really important things. How ironic that busyness and activity could paralyze us, but it certainly keeps us from some of the most important things in our lives. Sometimes the schedule we keep, whether it's because of work or whether it's because of our children's activities, it absolutely wears us out and it keeps us from the really important things in life. And then, you know what we do because of our busyness or because of our fears or the other things which I've mentioned this morning? We isolate ourselves. Our paralysis leads to isolation. We withdraw. A book was written years ago called The Friendless American Male. We esteem independence but isolation will ruin us. Larkin says, isolation in the long run is the riskiest option of all. He says, I am not a rock. I'm not capable of being my own counselor or my own best friend. For me to live a healthy and balanced life, I need to be real around other guys. Let me say this to everyone here, but especially to men Refuse to isolate yourselves in the darkness of your own cave. Walk on the path together with others and carry each other's burdens. Know that Christ walks with you. When you choose to live in isolation, Larkin says, you are playing one-on-one with a superior opponent. And God calls us to play team ball. What does that look like? I love what Scotty Smith, PCA pastor, says. A sign you're growing in grace 
is you linger longer at meals and in conversations and you hide and isolate less. Assign your growing in grace. You linger longer at meals and in conversations and you hide and isolate less. He is saying you have to have time for people. I remember one time in Turkey a number of years ago, I asked a taxi driver to take me somewhere. And he said, well, sit down first and let's have tea. And I'm going, listen, I'm in a hurry. i got to get somewhere. But you know what? Um, and a number of you know me well enough that you know that I'm always in a hurry. Um, something's the matter, but something's the matter here. It's with me. In our story today of the paralytic, we see that the paralytic has friends and they help. He lives in community. Without friends, he would not have gotten face-to-face with Jesus. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. There is power and there's strength in community. The truth is, found in God's Word, that we are created to live in community. Um, I've asked a couple of volunteers to come up this morning, and I'm going to try something here. Because sometimes we try to carry the weight of our life together. Larry, would you come? Scott, um, I've got some really heavy books here. Um, these are commentaries by Dr. K. And sometimes I'm asked if I use commentaries, and I do. Um, I'm going to use them this morning. I did use them this week also. Hey, Scott, how about putting your hand out straight like that? Okay, I'm going to spread your fingers there. Okay, I'm going to put a weight. Can, Consider yourself like Scott. You're going through life, and all of a sudden you're trying to carry everything that comes your way all by yourself. Now, Scott is really a strong guy, um, and I could put a little bit more on there. And you know what? Scott could carry that for a little while, but he couldn't carry it by himself for very long. Scott and Larry, I want you to try to put your hands like that, and I'm going to try this again. There you go. I'm going to put this here. And then this. I'm going to put another one. And I'm going to put another one. And you know what? I could keep putting things on there for quite a while. And together, they could carry that. They could hold that for quite some time. Thank you, guys. Our lives are the same way. We need others in our lives to help us carry the burdens we have. And sometimes the burdens keep coming. They really do. And we cannot carry those things by ourselves. One social researcher named Robert Putnam writes, The single most common finding from a half-century's research on life satisfaction is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. Being connected 
Living in community, as we're calling ourselves to do here at Orangewood, is not the same thing as just knowing a lot of people. Larkin says, I haven't always had friends. I've had playmates and classmates and many hello friends, but not real friends. A real friend knows my stuff and loves me anyway. You see, God has created us for community. We're to be walking through life together in the good and in the bad. There's a strength in being in relationship with others. The paralytic was not healed because he was connected. He was healed because of the power and the compassion of Jesus. But God used the connective reality of friends to bring him to the healer. Is there someone you need to carry to Jesus? Friends carried the paralytic to Jesus. And they're bold. The four friends encounter a crowd. And they cannot get in the door to the house. You might expect them to be passive. You might expect them just to say, well, let's wait outside or let's leave. Let's come back later. But the friends were bold in carrying the man to Jesus. They are fighting for their friend. They have his back. They're all in. Some of you this morning, you had eggs and ham for breakfast. And you do know that the chicken gave part of herself for your breakfast. But you know, too, that the pig was all in. (laughs) These friends were all in. They were committed to their friend. Are you allowing friends to carry you? Or do they see the mask? Or do you let them really know you? Do you live by the mantra, I don't need any help from anyone? We as Americans, we so value our rugged individualism, but it does not work in the pain of life. Sometimes we say we want self-improvement when really we're just longing for self-sufficiency, which will not work. God has made us to be dependent upon Him and interdependent upon each other in the body of Christ. Neil Diamond hit it big with his song, Solitary Man. After 42 years of not having a top album, he sings, I'll be what I am, a solitary man, solitary man. The truth is, by his own admission, that that is exactly what he is. He says he has one friend from high school that he could call but he hasn't talked to him in a couple years. Can you and I say the same? I hope not. Some really need to be in community. Some need to be in community groups. And we've talked a lot about them. um, And I hope you'll talk to Larry some more if you have that desire. We're busting at the seams right now with community groups. And we need some leaders and some host homes. But I hope that somewhere in your life you have that community because you must have it. Ladies, beginning uh, Tuesday from two days from now, um, your women's ministry is starting off. 
you can go there and find some community. Men, this Thursday, we're starting at 6.30, um, Band of Brothers, Upper Room. I hope that some of you can come there, especially if you're not in a community group already and building that with other people. Let me encourage you to find somewhere where you're in community with others because you need it and others need you. The paralytic cannot get to Jesus by himself, and we cannot go it alone in our lives. Connecting, I know, implies risk. And some of us are scared to death of that because we've been burned in the past. The paralytic took a great risk. I mean, he put himself in the hands of four guys on a stretcher carrying him around rooftops. He accepted the risk. They could have caused a riot and made people mad. I mean, they were trying to butt in line, sort of, and nobody likes it when that happens. They could have ticked Jesus off. That happened in the New Testament also. But the really cool thing about these all-in friends was that they had something besides their friendship. These friends had faith. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. These friends were so all in because they were convinced that Jesus was the one who could help. They were not going to let anything stop them from getting the paralytic to Jesus. They were bold risk takers. They destroyed a house. They interrupted the Messiah's preaching because... They were convinced that Jesus is able to heal and to save. They have faith. They fight for their friend. A casual friend, an acquaintance, will not do the things that those guys did. This morning, I want to encourage us. Lend a friend your faith if your faith, if his faith is weak. And then... Grab on to the faith of a friend if your faith is faltering. Now, I know that sounds a little bit strange, but the truth is all of us have been gifted in certain ways. You've heard of spiritual gifts. Some sitting here today have been given the gift, the spiritual gift of faith, a deep trust in the goodness and the grace of God. And spiritual gifts are always given, not for the use of ourselves personally, but for the body to build up the body of Christ. And so if you have a gift of faith, share it with others. Those of us who know we have struggling friends, let us share our faith with them. Let us lead them to Jesus. Our faith implies a personal relationship, but it is not a private relationship. It is meant to be experienced in community with each other. And that is why we are promoting so strongly this whole idea of community. When we talk ourselves out of living in community with others, when we will not allow our defenses to come down, no one is going to really know us. And we think we're safe like that when really... It is to our own detriment. We're going to be stuck. It's to our own family's detriment. Our family needs us engaged. And it's to the detriment of our church, our brothers and sisters in Christ, who need us engaged together. Don't believe the lie 
that no one needs you. There is a sweetness and a power in living the gospel in community that we must not miss. Larkin speaks of his willingness to trust Christ, but not the body of Christ. Some want only God to help you and not anyone else, when in truth, God uses people to help people. The story is told of a downed pilot in Alaska after he crashed. He was there for a number of days, um, and he got really mad at God for not showing up. A few months later, he's telling the story of being down and how mad he was and is at God. When the person who is hearing the story said, well, what in the world happened? You obviously survived. And out of anger, he says, oh, this Eskimo came by. He wanted God. He didn't want an Eskimo. And sometimes we're the same way. We want to hear the voice of God speaking to us, but we will not allow ourselves to hear the messenger of God that he brings into our lives. This past spring, um, 11 men from Orangewood joined our sister church, Willow Creek, for their annual men's retreat in North Carolina. We're going to do our own this next May, so I hope you'll um, join us, men. But they used a phrase there that absolutely gripped me. Who are you going to call at 2 a.m.? If your world caved in tonight and you knew beyond a shadow of doubt, I can't handle this by myself, do you have someone you could call at 2 a.m.? You were not put into the body of Christ to go it alone. Last week, I was working on this message, and I was right here working, and I received a text. I do use technology some, um, and the text said, please pray. It was from a friend, a life-and-death situation. It was something that could not be carried alone, and something that should not be carried alone. Who are you going to call at 2 a.m.? Are you connected? Larkin says, friends and community will remind you of the mercy and grace of God in Christ, allow you to admit brokenness and pain. You will be reminded that you are not an orphan. You are the adopted child of the King who will never disown you. Friends of faith, fight for friends. Is there a friend you have right now who is struggling, who is overwhelmed with life? Who is withdrawing and isolating? Fight for him. Fight for her. The week after Shannon Stone fell to his death at the Rangers game, there was a memorial service for him. And a few hours later, in Phoenix, the Major League Home Run Derby was taking place. And another fan fell over the railing. Two men fell out of the bleachers within a week of each other. The first one died. Do you know what happened to the second? His friends were close enough to grab him and to hold on. Keith Carmichael and his brother Craig had already caught two home run balls that night. They were looking to add another one to their collection when Prince Fielder stepped up to the bat. 
Brother Craig later said, I was looking at that home run ball coming toward us, and I saw my brother fall, and I couldn't believe it was happening. But I grabbed him, and I wasn't letting go. That's a brother's love, he says. And that's also a friend's love. The pet paralytic had friends who were not letting go. And you and I need friends who are not letting go. And you and I need to be friends who will not let go. You and I have a friend who will never let go. The object and the destination and the answer in our journey has to be Jesus or it will end in emptiness and vanity. Who are you carrying to Jesus? Are you allowing others to carry you to Jesus? Friends carry friends to Jesus, who is the ultimate friend and Savior and healer. Jesus will never, never let you go. Let us pray together. Our Father, this morning we ask that you would work in our lives in such a way that we truly carry each other to Jesus. Father, heal us where we need to be healed. For those of us who are scared to death to let others in, let us know in the depth of our being your presence and your love. Let us know the true sweetness and power of living in community with each other. Father, we come asking this in the name of our Lord. Amen.